A study was done by Boston College and the MacArthur Foundation detailing that living in unsafe or unsanitary homes is related to greater emotional and behavioral problems among children and the adolescents. They also found out that moving frequently is also detrimental to a child's well-being. That is one of the reasons why Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity helps families build and improve places they call home. Not only for the well-being of children, but affordable housing brings a positive impact on the surrounding communities, a rise in economic benefits, and it encourages diversity by creating communities where people of different cultural, social, economic, and educational backgrounds can unite. After all, a house is not just a house, it's a home. This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee. Stories that stick with you. This past week, Milwaukee Habitat hosted a women's build which is an opportunity for women to be empowered by taking proactive steps in serving their communities. The way it works is you sign up to be a volunteer and help build and construct a home. No worries, no prior experience is necessary, and you'll be under the guidance of a construction professional. But you're there to improve the community one hammer at a time. I put on my hard hat and went down to the Harambee neighborhood and spoke with Kelly Schultz the Donor Relations Manager with Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity, to learn more. Fair warning, there's quite a bit of construction noise in the background, as expected. For people that don't know anything about Milwaukee Habitat, can you maybe describe where we are right now and what's happening today? Sure, so we are right now in the Harambe neighborhood, and that is actually pretty close to where we're headquartered. And we are building 20 new homes in the Harambe neighborhood in 2022. Where we're standing right now, it is part of our Women Build Week. So we're, we're on Bellar Phillips right now. We also have a home on Fifth Street that is being framed. That's when you put up the walls and that's when it looks very, very distinctly like you are building a house. <laughs> and we also have a team of ladies out on Second Street doing some drywall and the interior work. So why specifically the Harambe neighborhood? Well, when we were looking at which neighborhood to build, so we do a neighborhood by neighborhood approach. And when we were looking for neighborhoods, we actually sent out you know, RFPs and there's a a lot of neighborhood interest and good support systems in this neighborhood already. There was an interest for new homes to be built in this area. And also there was a need for new homes to be built in this area. Right now, the majority of the homes in this community were built in the 1930s or around that time. And only about 28% of the homes are owner occupied. So, you know, while we can't prove where all of the landlords are, there is, there is an issue of landlord neglect all over the city of Milwaukee. And so we were trying to fill a need here for new houses that are affordable, but also good quality houses for families that are safe. Not only is it essential for Milwaukee Habitat to provide affordable housing, but they also want homeowners to be able to keep their homes. 
We try to keep the mortgage payments to 30% of the homeowner's income, which is where it should be for budgeting. And, and the home, prospective homeowners go through a, an orientation class. They take financial literacy courses as well. So we take them through really a lot about budgeting and about um, st- keeping it themselves in them, their homes. So they are able to keep meeting their mortgage payments and be here for the long haul, be be part of the community for the long haul. I spent some time with volunteers during the Women Build, and one bit of information that kept circulating during our conversation was the demographic. Usually Milwaukee Habitat serves a family with children in their household. And I'm not sure why this surprised me, but many of the people that they serve are female-led households. Last year, we saw 82% of the families that we were serving were female-led households. And, you know, traditionally on the open market, it is difficult for a single female to get a home loan, no matter your demographic. But it's even harder if you are a woman of color. And we do serve primarily people of color, people who have been marginalized and left out of the lending sphere traditionally. And we are trying to combat the, the, the terrible effects of redlining that has you know, plagued our community for so many generations. And so about 82% of our homeowners that we served last year identified as Black or African American, and 18% were actually Asian refugees, mostly from the Myanmar-Burma region. So, you know, it's folks that maybe just weren't looked at on the open market because of their credit history or what have you, especially especially for the refugees. You know, it's, it's a little bit different than a traditional home buyer in the United States. And many of the people that come to us, there is an income requirement. You have to be low to moderate income, and it is a percentage of the median income in the county. And But many of the people have been saving up for a home. They've been looking on the open market. They just can't find anything. Or maybe they don't have enough for a down payment. And so we help them out with down payment assistance. There is no down payment on these homes. And so they are able to afford that affordable mortgage payment and stay in their homes longer. It takes all of us. We are all a part of this community and we all have a hand in making housing more affordable. And I think the more that you get hands-on and the more that you are out in neighborhoods that aren't your own, you can see that the universality of all of us. We are all human. (laughs) That's where the humanity comes in with Habitat for Humanity. It's really a great equalizer. And you are shoulder to shoulder with so many people from different walks of life. And it puts it in perspective for people. Plus, we have a lot of work to do. We are building 20 new homes this year, and we are hoping potentially to double our production next year. The delight of the day was meeting a volunteer named Gracie Cher. She's been volunteering since 2015, and she has no plans of stopping anytime soon. And because of that badge of honor, she's known as habitual. And I can describe to you how Gracie was like, but I think she does it best herself. I bring the party with me, so I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty much, uh, I have a lot of fun. And so, like, I've made up songs for Habitat, and I, you know, I bring cookies, I, you know. So, no, I just look forward every week to coming out, and uh, it's just really important to me in my life. We all need a Big question is, why do you keep coming back? You've been here since 2015. What keeps you coming back to volunteer? Oh, Habitat, I would say probably it's like a second family. And it provided me with some structure and meaning in my life in a time when I really needed something like that. I keep coming back for the camaraderie and for the mission. Yeah, I love that. So let's take it back to 2015. Do you mind, Romeo, 
<laughs> well, so the first time that I came out to a build, I thought that, you know, I'd done projects with my brothers and my sisters, and I knew how to, to wield a hammer, and I had been a homeowner twice. Well, I had, I had no clue. Of, I had no clue. I had no, no tools. I had very little skill, actually. So that first day, I felt like, wow, I don't know anything, and I felt sort of like I was a hindrance to the team. But everyone who had been here for a long time was so welcoming and so hassle-free. No big deal, Grace. Here, I'll show you how. So I learned a ton of skill. I learned drywalling, floor laying, framing, siding. I just learned tons of skills since I started in 2015. I believe in the mission so much, and so I, I just talk about it wherever I go. Why do you think that mission is so important to have affordable housing for families in Milwaukee? Well, the history of Milwaukee since the Great Migration, it is something that destroyed a lot of neighborhoods and communities. And we, part of Habitat's mission involves the rebuilding of community. And so I feel compelled by that. I also feel like we... I have a dearth of housing in our community that is affordable. And there are many, many, many people who are struggling with a, a huge percentage of the homes in these neighborhoods being not owner-occupied is problematic. It's problematic for maintenance of property. It's problematic for crime. It's problematic for the legacy of families, for the building of wealth and not to mention just safety and security. I feel like it goes beyond just building a home. Has there been a, a lesson that you've learned throughout this whole process within these years? Um, I guess two lessons. One is the resilience of people, particularly of women. Not to denigrate men, but the women who are involved in our community raising their children. The majority of our homeowners are single women. and. It's pretty amazing. So that, that is lesson number one. And number two, I think, is just the power of people. We get together and we impact people's lives. That's, that can happen across the board. And we don't have to settle. I left that build feeling inspired but eager to learn more. So I reached out to Milwaukee's own Reggie Jackson to see if I could learn more about the Harambe neighborhood and the rich history but he ended up connecting me with a Milwaukee legend. I won't give it away, you're gonna have to keep listening, but I'll give you a hint. He's incredibly influential that he's known as Milwaukee's second mayor. Any takers on who that might be? Stay tuned right after the break for the exclusive interview. Do you wanna know the secret behind the programming you love? It's all funded by the honor system. As a public radio station, we're based on a very simple model. We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. When Reggie Jackson told me that he connected me with the man himself, I mean, I was shaking. I was shocked. But I was so honored and I was definitely not going to decline the offer to speak. He grew up in the Harambe neighborhood and over six decades, he and his late wife have played key roles in founding more than a dozen community centers focusing on education and beyond. 
His ethos is around the betterment of our city's Black community, that he is often called Milwaukee's Black mayor. Way before the city even had a Black person holding the office. I am talking about the celebrated Reuben Harple. Of course, to start off the interview, I have to ask him the 889 question. Come on, you're a weekly listener. You know the 889 question. I asked Mr. Harple about his childhood. My grandfather had a coal business and also he had about 30 bicycles that he used to rent to the uh, community. And there were only two bicycle places in the city at the time. One was Ben's Bicycle on Lincoln Avenue and the other was my father's on 807 West Summer Street. And we, he used to rent the bicycles to the kids in the neighborhood for 25 cents an hour and 50 cents for three hours. <laughs> and then whenever there was a parade downtown on, on Wisconsin Avenue, my father had a 1937 Buick limousine with a, with a tire on its side. And uh, he'd have his 30 sub-bikes follow him and the kids from the neighborhood would have little white hats on and the wheels would be decorated. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Milwaukee at the county hospital, September 4th, 1934. I first lived on 4th in Galena, and then my father, my mother moved back with her father and mother on 807 West Summer Street, and then we stayed there until I was, and I went to school at 9th Street School, Roosevelt Elementary School, and also North Division High School. That's where I graduated from, North Division High School. And then after that, I started working at American Can Company. Worked there for a number of years, and then I worked at post office for about 31 years. Then I worked at the Milwaukee Star newspaper as the advertising manager for a number of years. Then I had a, a program on Channel 6 called Perspective Inner City. Did that for a couple of years. I married I got married to my wife after coming back from Korea, August 29, 1951. Around the civil rights movement, that's when Rubin's impact shifted. And his late wife, Mildred Harple, said something that changed it all. We were watching the civil rights movement, and she said, you must do something. I said, well, do what? I can't do it. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so finally, I started working with the Milwaukee Urban League, and they trained me in terms of how to work in the community. Now, something that Ruben did was simple, but quite remarkable. When he was figuring out what area of community service he wanted to focus on, he decided to go directly to the source and talk to people. He went door to door and asked families, what do you want to see change? What do you need for you and your children? And I say that this is remarkable because oftentimes when we want to help, we take over and take this role as if we know what the community needs. But Ruben didn't do that. He put the community first. He put their voices on the map. We asked the people in the area, says, what do you want for your children? And they said, we'd like for our children to be able to read. So we started a project. Our first project was to work with UWA Extension at 925 West State Street, right across the street from MATC. And we had 44 students that we had found from our survey. And then my wife, and the, the wife of a Dr. Patillo said, we'll ask the, the young doctor's wives to come and help us with the reading program. And so that's how we got started. And then from there, people from all over the city, from different, from uh, lawyers' offices and so forth, that agreed to pick up the kids and, and bring them down to UW Extension. 
His contribution didn't end there. In fact, Rubin and Mildred are credited to founding more than 25 community centers and programs that promote education, including Milwaukee Public Schools' Homework First program, the Milwaukee Community Sailing Center, 100 Black Men of Greater Milwaukee, and Bader Philanthropy's Community Partnership for Youth. But it all started in the Harambe neighborhood. How would you describe the Harambe neighborhood? Well, we were working in a neighborhood where all kinds of things were happening and where I live. And we found, I found out because I had some friends that worked at a telephone company. So as they told me, they said, well, we can tell you what's going on in that area. So they looked and they found out that the Harambe area was from Walnut Street to Capitol Drive and that there were 7,800 people living in that district. And so when the, the young man that was teaching at Harambe School called, named the area Harambe, meaning it's pulled together, uh, we started working on blocks, developing block leaders. And there was an old lady that was about 90-some years old that would work with us. And then we got uh, plastic bags from Miller Brewing Company to clean up the streets and areas so we keep the streets. And at 93 years old, she, She'd catch somebody asleep in the bed, they'd tell them, get up out of the bed and come on down and clean this <laughs> So it was really a lot of fun. So the, the block, we had, we had 400 block leaders. And a block leader was a person that owned, that was the leader of the block that they lived on. And then all the blocks, the four blocks on a round circle around them. So each block leader had about four blocks that they would uh, be concerned with. And then, if something was happening that the alderman or the assembly person or the senator would have to know about, and then the block leader would contact them. And if, if they didn't act, one time the, the assembly people didn't act, so the block leader decided to order a bus and all of them went up to Madison to complain. So block leaders became like, the, like mayors of the of four, four blocks. That just shows that the community stood behind the meeting of Harambe, all pooled together, which is a long-standing Kenyan tradition. The fact that community members took charge of their neighborhood and became leaders in their own right to implement change and then saw the results means that when we work together, anything is possible. You know, it just shows that when people really care, community comes together. A friend of mine, uh, Harry Kemp, when he went, he was, he volunteered and went into the Air Force and his Air Force journey took him to Africa. And when he came back, I said, hey, Harry, where you been? He says, I was in the Air Force, I was over in Africa. I said, what'd you learn when you were in Africa? He said, I just learned one word. I said, one word, what word was that? Yumukadu. I said, Yumukadu, what does that mean? He said, you can do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna remember that, Yumukadu. I love that, it's beautiful. This is a housing story. Why is it so important to have fair housing and equal opportunity for all? Because in the United States, your wealth starts with housing. When people come over here from all over the country, the first thing they want to do is to have a place for their children to live. And in the process of doing that, this is how you build your, build your fortune. You start out with a home and you pay for it. Then you take that money and help raise your children. Then from there, you go from one thing to the next. 
And so housing actually is the basis of wealth. I just had one more question for you, and I don't want to take too much of your time, but what is your favorite thing about Milwaukee? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> The Community Sailing Center. Can you go a little bit, and why is that your favorite? Have you heard about it? It's right on the lakefront. We have 80 boats down there. I was working for the UW, Extent, UW Madison Sailing Center, a Sea Grant operation, and uh, we, we had about 80 young people from the elementary schools in Milwaukee. And I had a couple, couple of teachers from those schools to, teach, to work with the kids. And then there was a guy that had learned to sail when he was 11 years old. So then he went to work with the kids and then we had a, a sea biologist who would come and take a fish and cut it open and work with the kids. And then also they started growing fish in barrels with water in it and it continued it. And so a lot of, a lot of businesses start from that. And I was working with it. And just recently I ran into a guy who remembered me from 31 years ago. <laughs> I went out to the uh, Mad Rooster's restaurant. You know what it is? Yeah. yeah. And we were having dinner, and the guy woke up and he said, oh, I remember you from the Great Lake, because I had help hire him down there. And so now it's on Greenfield, That's, and they're growing fish in, in, in barrels. My time with Ruben was short. We only spent about an hour together, but he was incredibly generous and went back in time with me. When we finished our interview, we were sitting in the lobby of his building. He ended up introducing me to people that lived in the building, some staff members, and then he asked me a question. He asked me, what day was I born? I told him it was on a Wednesday and he sort of lit up and invited me to come check out a research book with him. I'm gonna ask you to stand by the picture. Oh, that's fine. And then I'll go get my book. Okay, okay. this works, thank you. It was a book on rites of passage in a con culture, one of the traditional matrilineal cultures of Africa. And the book said a Wednesday child that is a girl is called a cow, which translates to a messenger. A Wednesday child is known for the ability to bring a message that is sweet to hear and that brings fame to others. We joked that I was in the right business after all. And the only reason I share this story is because that's Reuben Harpel for you. He has the power to make you feel special and seen. He listens and is present with you. And I think that's one of the many reasons why he is such a great leader, a civil rights activist that changed Harambe and someone who holds influence. I'm your host, Salam Fatayer. Thank you to Nate Imig, our executive producer. Kenny Perez, our audio engineer. Thank you for our marketing team led by Sarah Lar. Graphics on our wonderful logo was made by Aaron Bagada. And Dan Ryder handles our social media accounts. And a big special thank you to our city-loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. Tune in next Monday for our next episode.